When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures. And it sounds a little bit different this morning because, as usual, I've had to carry the show because Patrick has had a family commitment come up and none other than Lee Rayner joins us this morning, one of Australia's most recognised fishermen, second after myself. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, mate. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad, mate. Thank you for joining us this morning on such short notice to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Now, Lee... You've been a very busy man gallivanting right around the country now that we're allowed to do so. You've been up in Darwin doing the Barron Nationals, so let's not waste any time. Take us through the Barron Nationals, how that went, and did you catch any fish? Um, mate, the Nats is just, I mean, you go to the territory, you just have a good time because everybody up there is is happy. It's unbelievable how much of a good mood everyone is up there. The fishing wasn't as good as the year before because the wet season wasn't as good, and, and that simply comes down to the fact, Aaron, that because Queens, southern Queensland and northern New South Wales caught those huge floods, that's the the system that, that would have normally hung over the Territory. So um, they didn't get the wet. The fishing wasn't as good. We caught a few fish, not a lot, but the guys who know their stuff did well. Um, Shane Campaign won it, and uh, he is just on fire at the moment. He's so dialed in with his um, with his active target. He was literally, you would watch these boys, Aaron, they would not cast unless the fish they were casting at on the active target was over 80 centimetres. And generally, they were targeting fish over a metre. Like, so, so back one step, active target, I'm not that familiar with it, sort of out of my sort of uh, fishing yep. knowledge. Take us through what it is and how the, how to use it as such. So it's basically, it's a transducer, this sort of big flat transducer that's on a pole and you actually steer the transducer, you have it on the front of the boat, feeding into a sounder right next to it. And the best way to describe it, it's like looking at an ultrasound, like it's real time. And if there's five bait fish there, you can see five bait fish, you can see which way they're swimming. Like it's it's real time, just like an ultrasound. And when you see a big fish like a barramundi or whatever, and a lot of the guys are using them on the cod and all that stuff, you, if there's nothing showing on the sounder, there's no fish there. It's that simple. So you can literally pull up to a snag and go, there's nothing on it. Like you might have to scope around and, and get it in so you get different angles on the snag, but you can go, there's nothing there, don't cast. So what it's doing is cutting down, I suppose, wasted fishing time, but also you can actually see how the fish are reacting to your lure. You can see if they come towards it, move away, do all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and it's just, it's unbelievable to watch. And some of the stories that Shane and the boys were telling me from what they saw off their active target, like he caught... He caught two fish over a metre and lost one that he was calling a metre 10 in a period of 20 minutes because they scoped all these fish up, 
and literally cast individual fish. So it's sort of it's a different style of fishing, and you've got to get your head around not casting when you don't see anything. So it's pretty exciting. Why is he catching more fish though? What's he doing different? Like you've you've obviously used how to use it. Why why is he what's he doing? I guess to extra two percent to catch those extra fish. So it's not something that you just turn on and, and it'll get you the fish straight away, right? Shane spent a year of solid fishing sussing this thing out, and what it enables you to do is you can see your lure in the water, right? You can see your lure going through the water. You can see it pause. You can see it move. You can see everything. When you get dialed in on it, you can literally get your lure within a couple of inches of the fish's face, and that's how he's doing it. He's getting that lure within four to ten inches of the barramundi's face to get the bite. Like he, He's not just getting his lure close, he's getting it right there in front of them to get a reaction bite, and that's the difference. Now, you said everyone up in Darwin's or that northern part of the world is uh, always happy. Is that due to the weather being so warm and down here so miserable? Mate, it's, it's got to be. It's always warm. The first three days up there, it was 37 degrees. And yeah. when I'm up there, you know, you don't want to complain or say anything or look like a wuss. So I'm sitting, standing in the boat fishing away just going, oh, God, it's hot. And it's that burny, stingy, hot sun in a river with no wind. And it's not till one of the locals goes, Jesus, it's hot today. You go, oh, thank God for that. So, um, <laughs> but, mate, that river, Aaron, is full of snags, right? The, the, it's not a river where you go, if I drive down the middle of the river, I'll be fine. There's a few spots. If you drive down the middle of the river on the wrong part of the tide, you'll hit a rock bar that's 20 metres wide and, and yeah. wipe your engine out. And absolute carnage on that river. Like, the engines that get broken, the props that get destroyed is unbelievable. Like, one, one boat did a prop or a gearbox or a skeg four days in a row. So what do you recommend if you're a new punter going up there for the Barron Nationals, said the, said the word in one little go there, Lee. Uh, <laughs> what do you recommend as a punter? So say me, for instance, I've never been there yeah. in this river. How do I go there and navigate it? Uh, I would certainly recommend getting a guide or someone who knows the river to show you yeah, yeah. around. Um, 100%. And then when you find a snag, because you're talking huge tides there, man. A big tide there will be six or seven metres. Like, we t- we have a big tide, it's two and a half, you know. They're talking seven-metre tides. So where you might go in the morning on a high tide and go, oh, this is sweet, you come back in the Arvo and it's completely different, completely different, and there's rock bars and there's snags and all this stuff. So when you find something, GPS it. If you see some snag that you go, that's going to be underwater, go up right up next to it and GPS it and put a, a, a skull and crossbones there or put something so you know that it's danger. So that, well, that would be... <laughs> that's always a good one. <laughs> yeah, mate. The reality is, Aaron, I even myself, I probably wouldn't go up there with my boat because there's a fair chance I would hit something unless you're going to drive around really, really slowly, um, which it's hard to do because you're talking about from, from the Banyan Farm Park to alligator head you're talking about 35 k's of river yeah it's a long way big hauls big hauls like yeah we were catching fish close to the park but when the fish move on those tides too like the fish will move kilometers in one tide so you've got to be really mobile let's come back down to victoria for the minute now let's be honest victoria is becoming one of the game fishing capitals in this country let's it's it's you know, massive swordfish, which I'm going to ask you a few questions about in a minute because yep. you've caught a few of those. We've also got the big barrel bluefin tuna right along the coast. Now, 
what are you going to be doing in the next few months? Because there's so many different options to do. You love your EPs. You love all sorts of winter fishing, yep. your cod. What are you going to be how, – how do you sort of plan your next, I guess, six months, let's call it, of a bit of miserable weather but some seriously good fishing? Well, I suppose, Aaron, we, we just – the one thing we always tend to have is there's good weather somewhere. Yes, we get those wipeouts where the whole state's a write-off, but generally the weather's okay in the west or it's okay in the east, so that gives you options if you're willing to be mobile. Obviously, when you get those good weather patterns, I love my swords, because but you're running a long way offshore, so you need good weather so you can do it. Um, but this tuna bite and these bluefin tuna are just they're, – they're next level, mate. Like, And, and the greatest thing is that our fishery is only going to get better. Um, but we've got fish from east of, of Phillip Island all the way down to Port McDonald in, in big numbers. And you know what? A lot of people don't want to catch jumbos, and there's millions of schoolies to go and catch if you want, which is what the charter guys like to target. But if you want to go and target jumbos, you can go and do that. So I'll be doing that a lot. When the weather's no good, I'll go trout fishing. When the tides are right, I'll go perch fishing. We've got Mulloway down the Glenelg River and the Hopkins and all those through the winter months. So if you're willing to be a little bit versatile, the options really are endless. Speaking of swordfish that you mentioned before, now that's, I guess, I'll call it the ultimate fish, I guess you could say. Barrel bluefin, they're a big fish, but swordfish have another league on their own uh, away from the barrel bluefin tuna. Marlin, in my opinion, they're more of an acrobatic, more of an exciting yep. fight. My favourite fish to catch because I guess they're a different, they're more of an enjoyment. It's middle of summer, you're having a great time in thongs, yes. as we spoke about in the show last week about being wearing our safety shoes. But it's uh, <laughs> swordfish is, I guess, the ultimate fish. For someone wanting to do it, let's try and dumb it down as such. How do we how do we approach it? Because fuel in boats, little boats, weather, and not only that, the money it costs for your braided line, then you've got lights, and then you've got to drop down 500 metres, give or take either side. Take us through where does someone start? Um, so, look, you can, to, to fast track it, you could book a charter with someone like Richie on Dreamcatcher. Um, you know, but if not, you need a boat that's obviously able to run the kilometres because off Lakes Entrance, for instance, your minimum runs about 90 kilometres on average. So anywhere up to about 130. So A, you need good weather, so you can do the miles. You need the fuel range. You need to make sure your safety gear's up to scratch. You need crew. It's hard It's hard to do it, certainly, even just with two people. I've done plenty of swords with two, but it's a lot easier with three or four. And at the price of fuel at the moment, mate, fishing with four blokes cuts the costs a lot so then you can fish more days as well so but then you need the outfit whether it's a Talica 50 or a tiagra 80 filled with braid mono top shot wind on leader a couple of lights as you said and then and then the hook and the baits and all that once you set up it's not an overly expensive sort of system unless you get bitten off by oceanic toadfish which happened to me on the last trip and then it's expensive so they've been a big talk at the moment i spoke about it on the show a few weeks ago yep. what are they attracted to the lights, do you think? No, this is the funny thing. So the buggers, you get feed layers. So a feed layer, a scatter layer, is all microparticles and organisms, you know, probably tiny squid and fish and little jellyfish and all that sort of stuff. That attracts all the bigger fish and so on and so on until you end up with the swordfish. What you often get is a feed layer on the bottom, but you'll also get a feed layer, and it can be mid-water or it can be down 200 metres. And the other week when I was there with Mia, there was a feed layer down two to sort of 250, 300 metres, and you'd be down with your swordfish bait, and it didn't happen to me for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden the line goes slack, and you've been bitten off 200 metres down because the toads are hanging in that higher water column. And 
at that point, you effectively lose 300 metres of braid, your top shot, your wind on, your lights, your whole rig. Your reel's lost enough line that it becomes basically a full re-spool. So it's about a $400 process every time you get bitten off. Mm. So, yeah. um, and they just seem to like, whether they're biting the braid or if there's a little jellyfish or a bit of something on the braid that they come and bite, I'm not totally sure. Um, but either way, it becomes an expensive process. We've never seen them before. And, and this year they're just there. There's a patch of water that they were in and, and it's just, you know, one of those variables in fishing that never change. That's the thing with swordfish. You're fishing 500 metres down, you do not know what you're going to no. get. Now, the next question I'm going to ask you on the swordfish front, probably the last one, circle hooks or J-hooks? Now, you're going out there to catch your first one. Let's be honest, majority of people are going to want to bring this fish home. To, they are a beautiful eating fish, one of the top yep. out of the waters. Now, are you going to go J-hook or are you going to go circle hook? How would you approach it? Um, I do use a bit of both, mate. I've had good success with J-hooks, and we certainly started with that. But circles are very, very effective. There's a bit of a trick to fishing a circle. Um, the great thing about a circle is your corner of the jaw, if you want a proper fight out of a sword, a big sword hooked in the corner of the jaw with a circle, is nothing but full pain because they get to fight to their absolute maximum because you're not actually hurting the fish in any way. Um, look, it's a, the, the verdict's out, but the guys who fish circles love them, guys who like fish jays love them. I, I use a bit of both. The good thing about a circle, mate, is when it's in, it's in. So just like with a marlin or a snapper or, or whatever. Um, but when you're fishing circles, the first thing you need to do when you get a bite, and, and oftentimes when you get the bite, as you're aware of there, and the line goes slack, and that's the sortie racing to the surface. So what you need to do is wind, get tight on that fish, and then go straight up to about 14 to 16 kilos of drag to pull that circle into position. If you go to eight kilos of drag, it seems like their, their mouth, which is flat on the inside, is holding the bait and holding the hook, and it doesn't have enough pressure to pull the hook into position and you end up losing them. But you push up to 14 or 16 kilos of drag, which is excruciating. Um, it gets the hook in and, and the landing rate is then far better. Uh, it's kind of bizarre that a fish that seeing, say, four, five, six hundred metres deep catching races to the top and it gets a sort yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense, does it, that they do that? But obviously... I don't know, maybe it's something like that when they're down deep, they, the water pressure, they can't regurgitate food or anything properly. So perhaps them, them racing to the surface, just like a marlin will jump and throw the bay, a sword's trying to do the same thing. He'll come to the top where there's probably less water pressure. He's trying to get that, that whatever it is in his mouth out. Um, but it's, it's quite unbelievable. And to give you an idea of how fast these or people, an idea of how fast these things move, we use a brick to get the bait down, a sacrificial brick and a breakaway. And that takes about five minutes to get your bait down. A sortie eating the bait and then hitting the surface can do it in about three. <laughs> so, phenomenal, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty crazy when you think that a brick falls pretty fast and a sortie can come up faster than a brick can go down. You're listening to the voice of Lee Rayner. We're just talking all things swordfish. Don't go anywhere. Lee's chopped me out with this show today because Patrick's done a disappearance act on me. You're listening to Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures, and it is now time for the Whip Round where we fly around the country and find out what's been fighting. And it's a pleasure to have Lee on the show, so thank you for doing this, mate. And then we're going to jump into the social club, Lee, and I've gone through the questions that 
we've been sent in and I've actually directed them towards yourself. So you're going to get some different answers, which is always a good thing in fishing because we love different opinions when it comes to fishing because it causes, causes a bit of a stir as you can see. But first up, we're going to head to New South Wales, Lee. Mate, the snapper at Montague Island have been on fire this week, up to 65 centimetres. But, Lee, there's been no signs of kingfish. They reckon there's no current there. So Montague has usually, this time last year, was firing with kingfish, but there's literally no current coming from the north, but there's plenty of bait. Do you reckon that'll fire up soon? It should do. It'll probably fire up with rat kings. What's interesting is that there has been big kingfish along the coastline, down off Marimbula and Eden and places like that. They're not in big numbers, but if you put the time in, the fish you catch there will be proper ones, like well over a metre in sort of size. So uh, well worth, guys, hitting that coastal shoreline more so than even hitting probably Montague at the moment. May, May, they've been caught off Birmingham late, like extremely late bite. Uh, current's not running too hard, but some massive bull May, May on the fad still. Like, what's going on there? That's just all to do with that that hot water that we, we had running down the coast all season and that'll be the eac working its way back north like it yep. just slows up and just crawls back and those dollies love to hang on the head of that current effectively so they will just be in a pocket there whether they're there for a day or a month who knows but while they're there go get them because I, I rate them as one of the best fish i've ever caught and they're a beautiful eating fish if you're a fish eater they're the one to eat aren't they a hundred percent mate they look amazing they fight great and they taste like nothing else the brown water in the port hacking has produced some seriously good fishing at the moment. Crazy salmon and brim bite. So if you're into that sort of fishing, land-based or in a boat, right around the port hacking, even around the Sydney Harbour has been fishing really good too with that dirty water. We're going to head to South Australia. Have you fished the Gulf before, Lee? Yeah, yeah I'll fish both. The go- I will fish Spencer Gulf and St Vincent Gulf. Well, the whiting are going ballistic over that way right now and pippies are the go. Big whiting too. Yeah, it's look, that, their whiting fishery is unbelievable, mate. Um, also, you've got yellowfin whiting over there, which is people don't realise, but you can catch them on little surface lures and bait and plastics along the shoreline. But the whiting fish in there is just off tap, and they have a bigger minimum size. I think theirs is 32, yep. and you're only allowed 10 per person. And when they brought that in, I know it, there was a big outrage with it, but the, the fishery has, has just gone from strength to strength since they did that. Point uh, Hughes at the moment, uh, squid fishing land based. They're being everyone loves to get out land based and catch some squid, whether it's with the kids or for bait or something to eat. Uh, it's been fishing really, really well. Heading to Queensland, there's been a massive turnaround in the weather up north, so that Hitchinbrook area. Uh, Red Emperor, Trevs, Coral Trout. Now Pat and I have uh, fished up that way. You've done probably Hitchinbrook more than Pat and I. <laughs> Yeah, mate, all that part of the world, the fishing's unbelievable. You've obviously got to, you know, where to know where to go and whatnot, but you've got your empowerments, you've got your light, your inshore, your offshore, all that. The great thing is, Aaron, all these floods and stuff they've had, yes, it shuts it down for a while, but the long-term benefits of a flood is is unbelievable. So the fishing there is just going to get better and better. The Mulloway out of Tweed right now off the beach, fishing really good. I saw multiple big captures of dewfish off the beach there, but also as a bycatch while you're waiting, the brim and the dartfish are red hot too. Now, something in WA that you might find interestingly, 30 kilometres from Albany, uh, a whale carcass has been floating offshore. It's roughly 30 kilometres. A fisherman was on the beach and somehow, I don't know how he's seen 30 kilometres, but he's seen birds and whatnot picking, blah, 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 and he's got his drone, and unless he was on his boat, but he got his drone and flown it out to the to the white, this whale carcass, right. and there was 
well over 100 sharks feeding off this whale, handful of whites, but a majority of bronze whalers. You wouldn't want to be swimming there. <laughs> no way. Not a chance in the world. But And it's amazing, man. Whenever there's a dead whale, sharks just turn up, you know, in, in numbers that would make people just stag it because the sharks are there, but they just love – they love whales just like oh, I love a steak. <laughs> a good steak's always good. Uh, Tassie Coles Bay has had great captures also of calamari off the week, off the pier this week, and there's been a huge school of a bluefin. Now you mentioned bluefin running from Phillip Island to uh, edge of South Australia before. It is still running through South Australia quite well, but Tasmania right around there. There's big fish getting caught at Eagle Hawk, but like I said, then Bernie right now only a few kilometres offshore. There is plenty of school bluefin through there too. If you're in that area, make sure you get out of there. That was the whip around where we've been. We fly around the country and see what's been biting. Now we're going to get straight into the social club and put a little bit of a twist to the questions this morning. We're going to head basically to leave for all the answers. Hey, guys, when casting for EPs, what pound leader would you recommend? Thank you, Andrew. Leroy, take uh, Okay, so, look, I don't fish overly light on perch because you can always catch some seriously big ones. They've got a raspy mouth, so they tend to suck your plastic in or your hard body in. And while they won't bite you off, they'll rough the leader up. So I like 12 pound. 12 pound is sort of my go-to. If it's shallow, super clear water, I might go down to eight, but 12 is my go-to. During summer on the big snags, I'll even go up to 15 when you literally got to bulldog them out of a snag to get the bite. Where, where are you fishing for EPs during the winter, Lee? Uh, it tends to be a lot of open water, Aaron. Like They move downstream to spawn in this more saline sort of water, so you're often fishing more open water. They'll still be on snags and that, but they, they'll they be in, in bigger numbers. They'll school up, and often you, when you find one, you'll find a lot. So, um, you know, weed beds, open water, lower down in the estuary systems or your creeks and stuff like that, whereas summertime we start punching way upstream, you know, get onto the, the really heavy covered snags and all that sort of stuff. So, um, like, you can catch them out in open water. In the BEM, you can catch them right down at the mouth, basically over the sand. Um, so they, they don't have any problem about getting into open water at all. I don't think I've ever asked this question to yourself or Pat. He loves chasing them. Uh, do you eat them? Oh, the worst thing you can do is eat a perch, Aaron. Right. They, well, taste, they taste really good. <laughs> oh, <right>. So <laughs> I was just about to say, right, isn't perch in the ocean usually good? So what, they, yeah. they you reckon these they taste as good as perch, I guess you could say? <laughs> yeah, mate, they, they're great eating. Um, the reason I don't tend to whack them very often is that they're a very slow growing fish like a 40 centimeter perch could be 30 plus years old so um that that's more why i don't like they used to just guys used to have there was a huge bag limit on it It was like 20 per person or something like that and guys used to go and catch their 20 per person three boat three blokes in a boat 60 fish in the boat day after day um and, and you're just wiping out a lot of years of fish. But for the most part, mate, I just prefer to, to let them go and just enjoy catching them. But, yeah, they do taste very, very good. With um, with your heapies and the brim scenario as such, where everyone's like, don't don't ever kill a brim, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like marlin, people kick up, like people crack it, crack it more at people keeping a brim than a marlin. Oh, sorry, the other way. So people crack it at people keeping a marlin more than they do a brim. But yet a marlin's such a fast-growing fish and reaches yeah. that. Like, it's such a different way to look at it, isn't it? Oh, mate, and, and that's always, I suppose, my argument with guys with tuna. Like, a 100-kilo tuna is about 20 to 25 yeah. years old, right? Yeah. A 100-kilo stripe is a marlin is about five. Yeah. And there's heaps and heaps of striped marlin because there wouldn't be a game fish in Australia that's tagged more than 
marlin and, and even striped marlin. So the re- and they they freeze better, marlin freeze better. So the reality is, you're better off to whack a striped marlin than you are to kill a hundred kilo bluefin. Yeah, well, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Another question. Love the show, guys. Can you please recommend what the best type of weight is for sword fishing? And how would you actually adjust on a certain day to get it down to the bottom? Cheers, Leo. Uh, so, Leo, we tend to use bricks. Um, bricks are just easy. They would break down in the water. Um, and, and a paver brick weighs about two and a half kilos. A brick with holes in it weighs about one and a half kilos. So um, that's just how we get them down, whether it's calm or rough or whatever, we, we get them down with a brick. It's just a, a nice, easy way to do it. The only downside is tr- storing 20 bricks in your boat. It's a bit of a pain in the bum every day. But um, the other way we do it, and then we have a, a, a light mono breakaway to that, so that snaps off when we need it to. Um, or when the swordfish hits the bait, he'll, he'll break the line. But the other one I use a lot now, Aaron, is I get a bit of fencing wire, wrap that around the brick, and you have about a 30-centimetre piece off the end of the brick with a tiny little hook on it, like a micro little hook, and it's amazing that it doesn't come off. You hook that onto the bend of the hook, send that down. When the brick hits the bottom, the hook just bounces straight off. Yeah, so that's very good. That's a, yeah, it works really well, but it's amazing. If you make that hook five mil too long, it will not come off. It's, and then and then you're stuck because it's really hard to snap wire when it's down 500 metres. So, um, yeah, a tiny little wire hook is great when you want to fish a floating bait. Here's the bottom starts floating up immediately. Oh, I'm impressed, Lee, with you just there. I'm very you that one? Do you come up with that? Are you, are you claiming that one? No. no. I, <laughs> <laughs> no. I wish I did, but but no. Um, no, the American guys use it a lot over in Florida and stuff like that. But, yeah, it took a bit of – marking around to get it right because the yeah. i'm telling you that the bend you make in the wire to put on the hook aaron is so small that you go there is no way in hell that's going to make it down 500 meters without falling off but it just does because the water pressure just keeps it there yeah. and then the second it hits it's just free it just works and there's no certain i guess weights well you've got ocean currents and whatnot you wouldn't maybe yeah. some days run three bricks instead of one Nah, mate. One brick gets it down. That's the that's the go. One brick just gets it down, nice and easy. Um, so, yep. and, and dealing with two bricks attached to the line would just be too much. It's just too much. And you'd actually find that probably fall slower because the brick's not that aerodynamic. And you will notice the brick. Your line slows down when it hits about three hundred meters, and that's because of the shape of the brick. So, one brick would get down better than two, I reckon. And the brick being three kilo up here doesn't weigh three kilo down there as such. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Last question before we wrap this part of the show up is, uh, Red, you've caught some amazing fish. What would be one you cherish the most? Now, I've answered this question before, and I've thrown it in there today to ask yourself. uh, I'm not answering it. I'm letting you answer this one, Lee. What is the – the number one fish that you cherish the most out of all the captures you've caught, because you've caught a lot of fish around this country, you've been doing it for a long, long time. What is your number one that you always comes back to your head? Or even if you need two there, but what is your couple of fish that always comes back to you that brings back the best memories? Um, probably memorable-wise, I would say my first 100-kilo bluefin, which I caught out of Port Ferry, yep. and probably the first swordfish – I caught out a Malacuta, which was the second date, which was the, the second swordfish caught in Victoria. That was 128 kilos, and it was just a I can't believe this has actually happened moment because you just didn't think it was ever going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I guess, once again, the swordfish is that. Uh, the It is the ultimate, isn't it? You, you yeah. call it the ultimate fish. 
Yeah, exactly. It is. It's just the ultimate fish. And when you see a, a big sortie, they're just they're just something that you just can't sort of grasp. They're just that big and that impressive. Um, but then saying that, Aaron, at the other end of the scale, my first 10-pound trout out of the Snowy Mountains, you know, I grew up doing that. And it took me a long time to catch a 10-pounder out of the Snowy Mountains. So yeah. that, you know, there's there's so many memorable fish for so many different reasons, but definitely my first big bluefin, because that took me seven years to catch. So it yeah. didn't come easily. Um you know, and, and so, yeah, bluefin and swords would be the ones. What about King George Whiting down at the local Queenscliff with me? Oh, no, that's the most memorable day and most memorable <laughs> bag of fish. You don't, have um, to, you don't have to be nice. No, but look, there's – if you – when people say what's your favorite fish I, I can't break it down aaron because it's it's the fish it's the people that you maybe fish for that species with it's the place you go it's what happened to catch that fish like i've got a hundred memorable big fish that i've caught as yep. you would yep no i'm hearing exactly what you're saying do not go anywhere i'm going to see if lee might join us for a little bit more but chris vasileski joins us after the show we've got red's review the flying gaff and of course red's tip we'll see you shortly Gearing up for Dometic. Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. Welcome back to the show. It is now time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. And on the line, our regular guest, Chris Vasileski from Gone Fishing Charters. Chris, there's a reason I've got you on the show today, mate, and that's because... Well, I've just knocked something off the table there, Chris, so ignore that. But we have oh, got you on the show today because you did your annual – we get you on every year to talk about this. We did your annual mission run from Queenscliff to Portland, and I want to talk to you a little bit about fuel consumption and how to plan for a trip like that. Now, I know you did something to the boat during the winter to help you along with this, extending the fuel tank. Is that a big factor in this big trip that you've just done? Yeah, it just uh, gives us the option to do more miles and obviously not have to carry fuel or stop in at other ports to uh, refuel. So the less stops and um, things we've got to do, you know, you don't like you're not going to waste fuel. So instead of me having to pull up at Apollo Bay to refuel, um, it just allows us to get a few more miles on the boat, go straight through. Now, what were you carrying and what are you carrying now? So at the moment, we're holding about 850 litres now. So that allows us to do Queenscliff to Portland in one hit well and truly and still have probably 200 litres in the tank. Now, you've got, obviously, a large fuel bill each time you fill up, and the missus wouldn't be too happy when she gets that, that, would she? No, it's not pretty. It's not pretty, I have (laughs) to admit that. But at least um, it saves a little bit of work having to refuel all the time. Now, the trip down, I know you've had a few charters now in Portland, which we're about to get to. Now, the trip down, you're covering a lot of miles. Now, covering a lot of water. Yeah. Did you see anything cool on the way down there this time around? Didn't see much between Queenscliff and Apollo Bay, but on the other side of Apollo Bay, um, just in shallow, probably 50, 60 metres, I did come across some birds and gannets, dolphins and some other stuff sort of working, but... Um, I did stop and have a bit of a flick around and there were just schoolfish there. It wasn't, <clears throat> sorry, it wasn't until we got to Apollo Bay that we started seeing some, you know, that delicious stuff that you see and you get really excited. Yep, yep. Now, now you've been running your charters out of Portland for, say, a couple of weeks now. You've had some pretty successful charters. You did ring me during the week and you 
pretty excited. You stated that this looks like it could be one of the best Portland years ever yet. Like you're seeing some pretty different size fish and a lot of school fish. Yeah, it all seems to be in in the mix. I think I'm excited, Aaron, because I'm not having to travel to the shelf every day like we did last season. Yeah. Um, all our fish are all in close again, so it's good to see. We're not having to do heaps and heaps of miles to find fish for our customers. Um, and it's just it's just amazing. This year, it's you don't know whether you're like literally going to get a 20-kilo fish or a or a 50 or a hundred. There seems to be a lot of those fifties and sixties, 80 sort of kilo fish around in the mix. So it's always good. You've, you've been running charters out of Portland for quite a period of time now. You've never seen numbers of 50 kilos of fish being caught, have you? No, no, no. It's either those school fish or you're getting a, what we call the barrels, you know, hundred plus, but um, certainly those fifties and sixties are, are quite good for the average customer. Well, they'd be much easier to handle than a 100-kilo fish, let's be honest, especially like you did last week. Take us through when you hooked a big, we'll go big bit fish, potentially a barrel fish, 100-kilo fish on a 10,000 Saragossa. How'd that treat you? Yeah, I felt sorry for the angler. Um, he was on that fish for about an hour and a half, and we almost had it to the boat. But as you know, when you're fighting a uh, – a larger fish with a, a small outfit, it's a bit hard to put a bit of herd on it. Yeah. And we just couldn't get it close enough to the boat to sort of get it in gaff range. And uh, yeah. unfortunately ended up spitting the hook out after about an hour and a half. But it was good. The uh, customer was pumped to um, have that experience. Not a lot of average fish owners get to experience, you know, fighting a big fish on light gear. So, it was, yeah, it was good. It was exciting. So, I don't have a boat. I want to catch a barrel bluefin tuna. Also, I want to catch a speed of school, fin, uh, school bluefin tuna. How do we get in touch with you, contact with you, Chris? Do we book online? Do we give you a call? How do we go about it? And do you cater for, I guess, barrel trips specifically? We do. We do. We cater for all. Um, pretty easy. We've updated our website so all our bookings go through online. So you can just jump on our webpage and open up Book Now and it will give you all the different trips and what spots we've got available. And then if you did want to chase the big boys and barrels only, then just yeah, give me a buzz and we can lock that in. So let's be honest, if you're trying to chase a barrel, like it's not cheap to do this. You're running two big engines. You've got a beautiful, big, comfortable boat, probably one of the best in the fleet down there. Uh, it's not cheap to run. So you can't just have a guy ring you and say, oh, I want to come out and one bloke come out. They need to book the boat either with a group of, say, mates and chipping together because it's it's an expensive hobby. You've got 50 wides you've had to get re-spooled up. If you get fish on them, you've got to do it again. You've got lures that you lose consistently. So what do you recommend? Getting a group together and coming down as a group of five rather than, I guess, hoping for a spot on a boat? Yeah, it tends to work. Like We sort of see groups of four. You know, We'll get a group of four and they'll want to do barrels as mates and they'll just split the cost for the boat. And, um, and you know, they obviously know what's involved. So... Um, yeah, so group of four, group of five, doesn't matter. There you have it, Chris Vasileski. He's based his boat down in Portland. There is one still in Queenslip, and we haven't got a lot of time to talk about that today because that's not important right now. It's all about the tuna out of Portland. So make sure you give him a call. Chris Vasileski, go on fishing charters if you want to get yourself a big tuna, whether it's schoolfish as well, or book online at Gone Fishing. You'll find it 
on Google there and make sure you get out with Chriso and get yourself some beautiful southern bluefin tuna and have a great time on the water. Thanks, Chriso. Thanks, Aaron. Have a good day. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living. Made easy. Red's Review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. It's now time for Red's Review where we do our product review and it's going to be a bit differently as such, not necessarily a specific product, but we're going to be talking lures today. So tuna lures. Uh, You've caught some beautiful big bluefin tuna. You've caught some beautiful small tuna, yellowfin tuna. Let's let me let I'm going to let you take me through your spread first of all for barrel bluefin, the colours, the heads, and why you would use the, that specific colour and lure at the time. Uh, okay, so we're going to go jumbo bluefin, Aaron. Jumbo bluefin first. Okay, so because first of all, people probably need to realise that that a jumbo bluefin spread is often different to a, a schoolfish spread. Um, for me, there's a couple that I always run. Marla Magic Baby Hardhead. It's a it's a cut face pusher, but it's long and skinny in the head. It's got a very tight little wriggle to it. Swims really straight, easy for the fish to eat. And that in a colour called Otto, which is like a, a black and violet overskirt with a violet inner skirt. And it glows this pinky purple colour. I think they eat it for a, a red baity sort of thing, but they love it. That on the short corner. A JB Little Dingo in Evil on the rigger would be one of my favourites. And then probably my other one would be a bullet of some sort. The And I often use the Marlin Magic Baby Blue in a colour called Mia, and it's a purple and silver outer with a pink in it. Um, you'll notice I mentioned two lures with pink in them, but, and they just seem to work for me, mate. I don't know about you, but yep. pink, I've caught more jumbos on than green, that's for sure. What about you? Yeah, I'm... I'm... I only I'm a little bit different with my barrel bluefins as oh, similar, but um, I have genuinely five lures that I have, and I have yep. not I have not changed them for, geez, it'd be a few years now. Um, yep. No, oh, they have their tornado. Actually, there's four tornado lures and one JB. Yep. So I run a JB dingo in the evil uh, as for some reason I run it in my shotgun. Yep. Uh, I've just always run it in my shotgun. And That's then interesting I, you say that, Aaron, because. I've always run them on the rigger, but then I've got other mates who go, nah, man, run that on the short corner, and they catch heaps on the short corner. So, so I, I think bluefin, honestly, the way they eat, like some days I'll get three-way hookups on 100-kilo fish, yes. and you're short, long, blah, blah, every colour will go. Then other days you'll just have that one lure that specifically goes. Now, I reckon the one lure that does it for me that specifically goes is my Lumo Green in my long corner, and that's the only lure that I reckon I'm so specific to go into long corner. The rest really? I don't care. Like, I caught one. Uh, I caught three fish the other day, uh, yeah. a week ago, and uh, we had. It was our the first one went was our my uh, the evil in the JB. Yep. And then I got cut off by something, and then I put. I don't even know what the color is. You might be able to vouch for it, but it's pretty much. It's sort of like a red bait. It's like a black on top, but a purple color. It's not quite a red bait, but it looks like a, like a red bait lure. Yep. And I I moved that from the long rigger into the shotgun position and swapped it because I, the other lure I had was another pink lure that you spoke about before. Yep. And I want to run that in shorter in the wash for visibility. Yep. And that one went straight after that. But then the next one went was the act along the Lumo green in the long corner. So there were three different yep. colors and three different bites in the space of a few hours. So, yep. but similar positions in that long away from the boat in, because it was quite rough. And I reckon the rougher it is, the importance Lee is actually to run your lures back further. I don't know what you're Yeah, 100%. On. 
yeah, get them in that little bit cleaner water. So yes, um, yes. The, the other one of you found, Aaron, I know I have, that various seasons will have various colours. I know some years evil's been just a standout. Other years big dog, which is a bluey purple, has been a standout. The next year it's it's all pink. Have you seen that very often? Do you, yes, 100%, you're spot on. And as a tackle store owner like yourself and who's, I guess, been around the tackle industry for a period of time, do you believe that comes down to the fact of, say, for instance, I got a fish on a green today. Do you, I put it on social media what lure it was. Do you yep. believe that it's just more of a craze that people tend to run that lure more than another lure, do you think? Oh, there, there's no doubt. There is no doubt that that happens. Obviously, numbers of colour in the water will will get bites but like I know I've had one season years back where we got to this I put this auto colour out we caught seven jumbos in three days on it right and every single fish was on that lure yeah get a bite on another lure and then for the next four weeks guys were going jumbo fishing and we'd be like get this colour run that on the short corner and it seemed to be this pattern that that look that coloured lure on the short corner was getting the bites but then as you said the next day it could be any colour it could be every lure well the issue with this segment Lee is we've nearly run out of time we can talk lures literally all day because I had another nine things to throw in there I had a (laughs) one three years ago at Portland that everyone was just getting fish on only red bait and that's specifically because the bait was red bait so you match you match what's in the water I guess it's going to put your chances up but I don't know. Do you, re- just, do you reckon people overcomplicate it sometimes with barrel lures? I certainly do. Do you think yep. or do you think you reckon it's more yep. have you have your lures in the water and sort of go for it? What do you think there? Oh, I think there's all those factors, mate, which which people don't dial in on. And look, a lot of guys catch a lot of jumbos these days, but I think, you know, it's about being in the right spot at the right time. When you find a good looking area, even if it's not on fire, now be there for the tide change. It's about working that work up properly, getting your lures in the right spot, you know, not just randomly roaming around. There's there's all these factors that if you put them all in place, then Aaron, you know it better than anyone. So often you'll get to a point where the workup gets to that that critical point where you're like, it's on. You drive past that workup and you're like, get ready, get ready, get ready. Boom, you're on. And it's not a big – it's a surprise. It's always a surprise. But it's not a big surprise. You expect it. That, that's exactly right because you go, I am in the right spot at the right time. My lures are working properly, all that sort of stuff. And I think a big factor is too, Aaron, when guys aren't getting their bites, it's because their lures aren't swimming right. They just throw them out, and they don't actually take the minute or two to make sure that lure is swimming properly. Like, if the lure is lazy and not swimming that well, shorten it up. Don't speed the boat up, because you'll probably make the other lures start skipping out. Pull that lure up a metre or two, or put it on the short corner. If it's skipping out, drop it further back. Get them swimming right, and you will get the bites. It's that simple. We're going to talk about head positions in Red's tip for about two minutes because we want to talk more about this. But I'm changing Red's tip. Don't go anywhere. After the break, Red's tip's coming. Lee's going to talk about positions of lures with their heads and explain exactly what he just mentioned. You're listening to Real Adventures. That was Red's review for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. It's now time for Red's tip, and we we're just talking about positions of Lewis. So I've changed Red's tip today because this is a great chat with Lee Rayner. You don't get this often coming from Lee Rayner. Now, Lee, heads of Lewis. It's important yep. where you actually run the lure so it's working 
properly. Take us through the style of heads and where you would you would run them. You've only got a couple of minutes, Leroy. Take okay. it away. Okay, so bullet-style lures, so good on tuna. They work because they spend time under the water. They swim straight. They're easy for the tuna to eat. I like to run them myself on the shotgun or the rigger. They have no action at all, but the fish eat them because they're an easy feed. Yep. Um, your bigger, fatter heads, I like to run them more on the short lures generally because they're, they're creating more commotion in all that prop wash and turbulence and all that. So they stand out just by the vibration and the action they have, whereas things like your JB Dingoes, whether it's on the shoddy or the rigger or whatever, or further back, they've got a nice tight little rigger. When you put them out in clean water, they look like a little bait fish wriggling through clean water. So, but there's no set, there's no hard and fast rules either, but that's a pretty good basis to sort of work on, I reckon. Your big, your bigger, deeper cup faces and fatter heads short, skinnier, slimmer heads and smaller cups a little bit further back. Your, your trolling speed? My trolling speed is about 12 k's an hour. So it's about seven and a half knots. But that's what works in my boat. I've been in other boats where to get everything working nicely, we go faster. So um, I like to go as, not as slow as I can, Aaron, but I like to find that compromise where I haven't got too much prop wash. And and over the years since I've done that, I've got a lot more bites on the shorter lures by having that speed a little bit slower. I can run the lures a touch shorter. They're in cleaner water faster and it, and it works for me. I've legit changed changed what I had in front of me here written on my computer to literally cater for what we've just spoken about. Just then from a split second in the ad, and we did not discuss anything there. And I couldn't about what you've just said there. And I couldn't agree any more what you said. I, be- oh, cool. I always have everyone trawling faster around me than what I'm going. And I seem to yeah. fish. Yeah, I, I I some days I'm like, why am I going so slow? Because oh, everyone's roaring around. I legit was out off Port Mac the other week and we managed to get three bit and I had one couple of guys hooked up around me and I'm like, geez, why am I getting a bite? And I'm like, it seems like everyone's going faster than me. So I've chucked my my Navionics on my phone to check my speed to make sure my yeah. my boat was my boat was accurate. I'm like, what's going on? Is something going on here? In the end it was just a matter of right place, right time. And we, we ended up getting three bites too. But yep. like it it yeah, I hundred percent there's so many people going around you hundred miles an hour. I had a bar crusher that was going off Port Ferry a week and a half back going around me, but he was on the plane. I had no idea what he was doing. I was watching yeah. his lures skid across the surface. Like, I was thinking, well, you're not going to catch a fish, mate. Slow up. Like, just yeah. – yeah. anyway, yeah. both Lee and I agree with that. Just quickly, we're going to head straight to the Flying Gaff, and I'm going to Auckland this week where uh, five men uh, face serious prosecution, Leroy. Listen to this. 317 mm-hmm. snapper were illegally caught. 317. I don't think I've caught that many in my life. <laughs> I don't even know. I deserve a medal for even being able to do that. But what idiots. Five people, 317 snapper. That's I'm looking at the photo in front of me. Fisheries have them laid down in front. So they are getting the gaff this week. You are not getting the gaff this week, Lee. You've chopped me out massively. Thank you very much for joining the show, Cover and Pat, for this week. Pat will be back next week. Lee. Thank you again for helping me out with Real Adventures. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Anytime, mate. Thanks for having me. We've been listening to Real Adventures. Make sure you get out on the water this weekend. The weather's looking absolutely beautiful where I am. I hope it is for you. We'll see you out there.
Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.